Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're two best friends entering the world of true crime. We'll be sharing the stories of some of the worst and most horrific murder cases in history with the help of professional criminologists. And we're taking you along for the ride. In this episode, we're turning back the clock to look at one of the most deadly mass shootings in UK history. It's the Hungerford Massacre. I'm taking the lead today, so I'll, I'll start things off. Hello, Helen. How are you? What machinery would you like to talk about today? Um, diggers. That was a reference to last week when we spent probably a bit too long talking about cranes because that's what the people want to hear. We know it. So this week, what do you have for us, Helen? I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened to me at primary school. Um, it was a DT lesson, so I was making things out of wood. DT. DT. I went primary school. Yeah, it was primary school. It was, well, you know. What's DT? Design tech. Okay. But it wasn't like period. It wasn't like design tech at this time because it was primary school. So everything seemed to just merge whatever the teacher felt like doing. Anyway, I made a crane. I made a crane. It was made out of wood. I made a windy thing inside. Out of like like a imagine ah yeah I made it from like um you know thread goes around the windy thing you know thread from a sewing box I do you know thread yeah. yeah and then it was a bit of string was wrapped around it there was a, a handle on the end and it went up the crane and then down and there was a hook on the end and it worked like you could push it around and you could wind it up and down the little hook up and down it worked and I would pick things up I made like these little fake pallets where I put um paper clips to make little hoops to, for the hook to pick up it was great it was functional it worked and then I did such a good job I got to go in assembly <laughs> show and tell to show this thing that I had designed and made with my own two tiny hands I even tinier hands like, and then I got to build an actual crane no and then my pink-faced headmaster teacher mistress I'm not going to say her name, broke it. <gasps> On purpose? When she was using it, she broke it. And I looked like a fool in front of the entire school. What a cow. I know. I bet she did that on purpose as well, just to spite you. Yeah, she yeah. looked like I'd been too smart. You know what? This kid's too into cranes. She's going to take over She's the world. She's too good at engineering. Nobody, at should, nobody should know the secrets of cranes. At the ripe age of nine. <laughs> She knows too much. She must be brought down. Yeah. The new story, uh, my boyfriend, Philip, hello, Philip, is finally listening to the podcast. Fuck off, Phil. What are you doing since February? Like, I know. I say to him, have you listened to my podcast yet? And he's like, no. And then I don't know what it was that recently he decided, I think it's because I personally physically got it up on his spotify on his phone so when his phone connects to his van on his way to and from work he has no choice it's there it's staring at him in the face so we started listening to it and he comes along and he goes i've been listening to your podcast i'm really invested it's really great and i'm thinking what took you so fucking long oh wow what a privilege phil thank you <laughs> <No>. <laughs> phil um, hello hi phil how yeah, are you doing i mean cheers for listening what are you phil? doing are you on your way home now should i put the oven on yeah. Tea's, I'll put tea. I'll start tea. How are you anyway? 
Um, I just can't relax because apparently I'm a stupid adult who do, will do everything. We're having a baby. We're trying to move house, you know, um, all at the same time. Because why not? Why not? Um, I'll tell you another thing that's put me on edge is looking into today's case. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever heard of the Hungerford Massacre? No. no. I've heard of the Hunger Games. It's not the same. Okay. It's no. Um, well... No, it's not the same. No, I have not. So I am here to be educated. Well, okay. Um, I'm going to say the word Hungerford a lot. Okay. So just be prepared for that. Um, This is mad. It's completely wild, actually. Um, And it is... I love the UK ones the best. Like, I mean, America, you guys have some fucking absolute nutty (laughs) serial killers, man. Um, But Brits are coming for you in this one like this is uh yeah it's just interesting because this happened in our country um not while we were alive okay not long before we were alive though shall we set the scene go on set it i'm setting the scene everyone it's a lovely summer's day in august in 1987 in the picturesque village of hungerford in berkshire that's like Quite an, it's a nice county, Berkshire, isn't it? They're yeah. all nice counties. Berkshire, it's in the name. Sounds like there's lots of trees. All the shears are like quite tree yeah, aren't they? That's why the Shire is called the Shire. Is it? No, I Tolkien don't was British, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, but that, I, I imagine that he it knew that too, is. so he called the Shire literally the Shire. Yeah, not everybody has hairy feet though, just some mm. of them. I do. <laughs> just Helen. <laughs> and she is also hobbit sized. So. <laughs> <laughs> the people of the village are going about their day saying hello to the people they know and it's the epitome of a quaint little English town. As a mother sits in a local countryside park with her two young children, she is approached by a 27-year-old man. As she turns to face him and say hello, she's met with a gun. The man horrifically murders the woman in front of her children before running away from the scene. What started as a normal day in this rural southern town is about to become one of the darkest days in modern British history. The young man continues on his way, firing his weapons at the strangers he comes across, but many of his victims don't survive the completely random attacks. Oh my gosh. When we look at spree killers, we look at what drives them. It's often an underlying simmering resentment that is often years in the making. It's a very unique form of of mass murder. The town is thrown into complete chaos and the police are inundated with conflicting information. It's the late 80s, they don't have social media, they don't really even have mobile phones, it's all landlines, telephone boxes. As they desperately try to locate the killer, the young man, soon to be identified as Michael Ryan, kills 16 innocent people. People were deeply shocked at the way this chaotic violence had erupted into what were small-scale, placid English lives. So let's go back to the start. Michael Ryan was born on May 18th, 1960, to parents Alfred and Dorothy Ryan in Marlborough, Wiltshire, which is around 10 miles away from Hungerford. His father was 55 years old when Michael was born, and so because of the age difference, they never really clicked. But Michael's mum, Dorothy, was 20 years younger than her husband and had a completely different relationship with her son. Here's criminologist Dr Elizabeth Yardley. Here she come. 
Michael was a bit of a mummy's boy. Um, she really did pander to him and tended to insulate him quite a lot from the outside world. But I think in insulating him, she tended to isolate him a little bit as well. So he didn't really develop the, the skills of, of social interaction with his peers all that well. I think because he hadn't had those relationships with siblings that, that most children have, um, he found it difficult to relate to other people. So he didn't really make any connections with others at school. And, and I think he, he got a bit of a reputation as being the older one out, the slightly strange kid. When he was 16, after struggling to fit in, Michael dropped out of school and started working as a part-time handyman. Even at 16, his mum continued to spoil him apparently buying him everything he wanted, including his first air rifle. Why? Lots of people have air rifles. Yeah, I suppose. You have an ex who had air rifles? Yeah. There's a few air rifles in my house because Baker went for an airsoft phase. Um, Air rifles use air. Oh, he does, doesn't he? Because when I helped you sort out your house, I found them all. Air rifles use air to propel oh it's in the name yeah um rifle yeah rather than (laughs) rather than like uh gunpowder or explosive material basically airsoft people run around in camo and you know just like it's almost like larping but not medieval so michael's air rifle was the first in his collection of guns which are actual real guns because this was before the firearms act was amended And he proudly displayed those guns in his room. In 1985, aged just 25, Michael lost his dad to cancer. In his grief, he became even more withdrawn and spent his time away from any friends or people in the community. And in all this solitude, he grew his passion for guns, spending all his time at the local firing range. Okay. Often when we look at spree killers, we look at what drives them. It's often an underlying simmering resentment that is often years in the making. And because they don't have those social connections with other people, they simmer away and they just get worse and and worse and they spend a lot of time on their own, ruminating and planning. So in Michael's time, at the time, it was legal to own a firearm if you were licensed. The process for getting a license, you basically just had to meet certain criteria and if there wasn't a reason for you not to have a license then you could have one and uh, being a member of a gun club or uh, like Michael was, going to the firing range to to shoot your guns was allowed. On August 19th, 1987, the now 27-year-old Michael was unemployed and still living at home with his mum and the frustration that had been simmering inside him for years was about to come to a head. I don't like that. The quiet August morning was about to take a turn as Michael loaded his car with guns and drove out to Savanac Forest, which is seven miles west of Hungerford. There he found 35-year-old Susan Godfrey, who was picnicking there with her two young children. Michael instructed Susan at gunpoint to put her two children in the car, then led her into the forest and shot her 13 times in the back. Heartlessly, he had just committed his first murder, and the only witnesses were her two children. This has come out of nowhere. Indeed, it was her children who subsequently first raised the alarm when they told a passerby, a man in black has shot our mummy. Oh, my God. Yeah, how sad is that? 
after murdering Susan, he set off down the A4 towards Hungerford, stopping at a petrol station to fill up his car and also to try and murder the lady behind the counter. From his car at the petrol pumps, he opened fire through the windows of the petrol station, aiming for the lady behind the till as she ducked for cover. This is kind of wild to me anyway, because I'm like, firing guns in a petrol station seems like such a massive risk to you as the shooter. Yeah. It's just not particularly smart. So perhaps, you know, he's not fully of his own mind. or We, will, we might never know. Having missed his target... So he missed, he was outside, he walked across the forecourt and into the shop to finish the job. But his gun jammed. Oh my God. Yeah, how lucky is that? And he just legged it. The lady behind the till immediately phoned 999 and alerted the police. Someone's just Good. come and shot my petrol station. Meanwhile, Michael's got back in his car and continued down the road. He was nowhere finished with his day of destruction as he headed directly back towards his hometown of Hungerford. Right. So at around 12.45, so just after midday, Michael arrived home to his house, which is number four Southview in Hungerford. He was going to pick up the rest of his guns from his room. When he got back into the car to continue on his rampage, the car wouldn't start. There's some kind of like outside force here, like his gun jammed, his yeah. car wouldn't start. That's like, Michael, this is not for you today. Please just <laughs> go home. Isn't it? Also, I because I'm sad, I googled number four Southview on Street View. Creep. Yeah, but I'll tell you a bit more about it in a bit. Okay. So yeah, the car wouldn't start and he was so mad at the car for not starting, he shot the car oh. five times. Well, that's definitely not going to make it start. Then he killed his dog. No! Yeah. Right, I'm done with this man. Podcast over. Yeah. I'm leaving. And then... Seemingly for no reason at all, he set fire to his own house. Is he? He's not all right. He's is not he? okay. No. So yeah, a pretty intense time. And I had a look, and um, interestingly, for Southview, I thought, oh, I bet you can probably tell that it's like been set alight. Like yeah, and so like maybe it's a bit more modern. Yeah, rebuild. But yeah, it's just sort of like an end of terrace. Southview is a cul-de-sac. And it's, Does uh, anyone live in his house? I think they must do. I was a proper creep and I was like zooming in to look at the house numbers. <laughs> um, I always do that if anybody, just tells me, if anybody tells me where they live. Oh, that's creepy. You should, you should well, no, admit like, that you know, stuff. No, 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 not anybody. But like I have like I have friends who live elsewhere. Right. And like, oh, I've just moved here. I'll look it up on Street View. Okay. Because one day I'm going to go there. I like to, I like houses. Sure not weird look at loads of things on street view i spend a lot of time on like google earth you do though for your job though right? i do for my job yeah but then also i'm like um what are the beaches what's barley like and i'll just go and look on satellite view you know once i went on street view and pretended i was driving around a town you know on the <laughs> on the google free, on the 3d street view you know mm. yeah it's street view in it I had to do I'm that. I'm going down here. Wee, yeah. should we go to the shops? Turn left. Woo! I had to do that for a course <laughs> once and I had to drive around this town and look at the way it was designed. Did you? Yeah. Michael wasn't content with uh, shooting his car and killing his dog and killing Susan and setting fire to his own house. So he then murdered his neighbours, Roland and Sheila Mason, who had just happened to be sitting in their back garden. What? Mm-hmm. So with the house in flames, Roland and Sheila gone. Michael took three of the guns from his car, 
a Beretta 9mm pistol, which is a handheld handgun, right. an M1 carbine assault rifle. Okay. Yeah, bit of a step up. Yep. And an AK-47 machine gun. Whoa, that's definitely not legal. It was licensed. Was it? Automatic and semi-automatic weapons weren't illegal yet. Oh, okay. For private ownership right. with, with the right license. Okay. So he took those guns and headed east on foot, which kicked off the next part of his spree. This is in the same day. It's within like an hour. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then obviously no social media. So And mobile phones, even yeah. mobile phones. Like if you see something crazy, go, you get your phone out, you call someone. Yeah. Like um, the lady at the petrol station, she would have just got her iPhone out and dialed 999 straight away rather than having to duck exactly. and then feel safe to get to a phone. So there's no way for the people of Hungerford to know what's They have no warning, yeah. As Michael headed east on foot, he shot and injured two more people at the end of his street, one of them being a 14-year-old girl. Mm. It seemed as though, because it's August, it's some holidays. Right. It seemed as though he had no plan other than to cause destruction as he walked through the small town, and Liz has some thoughts. We will probably never know what Michael Ryan's intentions were when he, he left the house on the day that he carried out these, these killings. I think when we look at some of his behaviour around it, though, we can perhaps speculate that he was suffering from some kind of mental illness. Some of the things for me that would support that would be how close together these killings were. When killings are further apart, when there's time in between them, the person is thinking about it, the person is deciding to do it again. But when it's in a continuous spree like this, there's less of that decision-making going on and psychosis or schizophrenia do come into the picture. Yeah, he's, he's a loss of control. Well, with psychosis, there's a, lo- a loss of reality. Yeah. So, um, and particularly those like psychosis, schizophrenia are quite isolating, can typically be quite isolating mental illnesses before they're properly diagnosed. And mm-hmm. particularly in the, you know, the late 80s, these things probably weren't as widely, you know, it would just be like, oh, he's just a bit quiet. He's just a bit of a weird kid. Like, yeah. Because when I f- first was reading about this, I thought, oh, this sounds like a psychotic break mm-hmm. because I watched too much Criminal Minds. <laughs> 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 yeah. And so, I mean, like if he is suffering a psychotic break. Yeah. Once again, though, we because he's, uh, you know, it's the 80s, he's at home, there's no sort of evidence of a stressor that would trigger. But he could be thinking everybody that he sees is a zombie trying to kill him or whatever, like, and so he's just firing at random. Uh, like, or oh, he could have convinced people, himself that that's what he has to do and that's himself. the right, that is the right thing yeah, to do. There's, like, there's, his perception of the situation is, I'm going to shoot this person and that's okay. That's well, what I have to do today. Well, that wouldn't be schizophrenia that wouldn't be schizophrenia or psychosis necessarily okay that, what would that be schizophrenia would be something in his head is telling him right these people are a threat to you oh and you need to end them before they they end you or this situation is harmful to you you need to be doing you need to get out of here you need to do this um and that is like almost out of his control he's he's being his and something in his head is convincing him that that is his reality okay one woman who michael had shot and injured through her living room window had managed to call 999 and call the police so by now reports of the shootings had begun to reach newsrooms across the country news had also reached the mayor of hungerford ron tarry who was at a meeting in a nearby village i was in the lambourne area and i had the car radio on when i heard 
there had been a shooting in Hungerford. A number of people had been killed. My first thought was there are a number of Hungerfords. There's one down in Hampshire, and it, probably not ours. And then it said, Hungerford is a small market town in Berkshire. Suddenly the shot came in. It was, was our my Hungerford, if I like to call it that. How can it happen in a place like Hungerford? At that point, I had an antique store in Hungerford. And so I knew the town really very well. I used to go there every week without fail, Saturday and Sunday. It was very comfortable and warm and an enjoyable place to be, which makes the juxtaposition with Ryan all the more dramatic. Because we're not talking about the mean streets of Chicago here. We're not talking about East Los Angeles. We're talking about Hungerford, a delightful, charming English county town with no real worries and equally no history of violence. A little bit of personal information from Geoffrey once. Yeah, there. Oh, he was thought that was interesting. Yeah, and then when you think about it, you're like, of course, you owned an antiques shop at some point. He Jeff, definitely didn't you? looks like an antique dealer. Yeah, and he sounds like one. So he, as a writer, has first-hand experience. Yeah, Michael's killing spree continued as he came upon a family walking along a footpath. Their 51-year-old dad, Kenneth Clements, put his hands up in surrender, giving the rest of his family the chance to run. Michael didn't hesitate and shot him in the chest, killing him instantly, making him the fourth victim of the day. There doesn't seem to be a pattern to Michael Ryan's behaviour on the day that he carries out these shootings. It appears to be indiscriminate. They are everyday people doing everyday normal things. And I think Michael Ryan never felt that he was part of that normal, part of that everyday. So perhaps there is a pattern underlying it in that the people that he's, he's taking his, his rage out on are the people that, that he wants to be like. It's that picture of perfect suburbia with people's perfectly cut lawns and fences and that community sort of spirit in this really it's quaint idyllic like, place yeah. in the countryside and he feels isolated through various from various different reasons and perhaps it's, it's a frustration yeah i think that's the biggest thing coming out of this like the whole thing is just fucking sad it's so horrible this whole question throughout this whole day as we go through the day i can't stop asking why yeah we're going through i like this it's almost like a day in the life of yeah this is, this is mad so now we're going to look at another hungerford resident police officer trevor wainwright who was out of town enjoying a day off when he heard the news of a shooting at the petrol station in savanac right so the town across okay because the petrol station was actually in the neighbouring county of Wiltshire, Trevor didn't realise the immediate danger his family was in until he got a distressing call from home. Right. Here's Trevor. And it was my wife saying, Trevor, you better get home. Don't know what's happening, but there's gunfire going across our garden. So I thought, oh, what's all that about? Could it be connected with the Savanac thing? You know, I didn't know. But obviously, I had to get back to Hungerford. As Trevor raced home, he quickly became aware of the true severity of the situation. As I drove across Hungerford Common, I could see on the edge of the town a couple of houses on fire. You know, you could see the smoke. And I could see in a clump of trees there was a group of people shouting in the trees. So I pulled up and I knew a couple of people there. I said, what, what's going on? And they said, 
oh, it's a bloke gone mad with a gun. I just didn't know what to think, you know, and you could smell the cordite from the weapon in the air, which I've never experienced that before, not, not like that, you know, because you could hear the sound of a gun going off. But I think the smoke and, and the fire from the house was the thing that was quite frightening. By now, police were beginning to arrive in Hungerford, still totally unaware of a sheer scale of destruction that was happening. 41-year-old Roger Brereton, a colleague of Trevor's, was the first officer on the scene. Roger Brereton was a lovely lad. He was a local lad, I think, came from Wantage way originally. He came to Hungerford as a PC. We used to go out, crew a car together on many occasions, going round the rural area. He was always a laugh and a joke. He was a good police officer. He was out in the Newbury area and the call came up, they were shooting in Hungerford. And bravely, he said, I'm on my way. At this point, Michael had turned around and was headed back to his house. But when he arrived back at Southview, he spotted Officer Roger Brereton in his police car. Roger was unarmed, because police were back in the day, and so he was defenceless when Michael Ryan fired 23 rounds at the police car, hitting Roger four times. Oh, my gosh. PC Roger Brereton had just become Michael's fifth victim of the day. Meanwhile, an increased number of police in the area began making it difficult for people, you know, outside of the village, including Mayor Ron Tarry, to get anywhere close. So Hungerford basically went into lockdown. But while that was happening, Michael Ryan carried on. After killing his fifth victim, he started shooting at passing cars on his street of Southview. First, he fired at a mother and her daughter who managed to escape by driving away. Whoa. Then he shot and killed driver George White before killing another neighbour, 84-year-old Abdul Khan, who is in his back garden. Oh. Well, that's just it. You hear gunfire, you see smoke, you're going to go outside to see you're what's going on. Look, aren't you? Yeah. Jeffrey Wansall knows what happened next. He shoots at a neighbour, he shoots at an ambulance, which has also responded to the concept of shots fired. The man dissembling disintegrating before your very eyes, falling apart, shooting at people entirely at random. And then, of all remarkable coincidences, his mother drives into the Southview. It's almost impossible to imagine what she must have thought. Her house is on fire, there are bodies in the road, her neighbours are dead, and there's her son carrying two rifles and a handgun, clearly having done something absolutely terrifying. His mother gets out of the car, puts her hands up and pleads with him. Ryan shoots her, kills her. <gasps> well, that took a turn. Yeah, right. So in an instant, Michael Ryan made his mum the eighth victim of his killing spree. Just like that. But why? Exactly. Why? He's supposed to be mummy's boy. Well... Dr Elizabeth Yardley thinks that Michael might not have been fully in control of his actions at this point. OK. It could be theorised that, that he accidentally shot his mother. I mean, if he was experiencing some kind of psychosis, uh, some kind of mental health condition where he wasn't in control of his actions, he could well have just been targeting people randomly, people who appeared in his line of sight and his mother happened to be one of those people. Meanwhile... Police officer Trevor Wainwright returned back to the town and reported for duty at Hungerford Police Station. 
it was quite bedlam, to be honest. In those days, we only had two phone lines into the police station, and there was a lot of movement. The first thing I wanted to know is who this was that was shooting people, because, you know, I'd been at Hungerford as a bobby 15 years. I knew all the kids. I played football with them. I took them for football, and I had a wonderful relationship with people in the town. And this name, Michael Ryan, came out, and it didn't mean anything to me. I thought, well, who the hell's that? Because he wasn't out playing football. That's why. Because he was at home. Alone. Yeah. Alone. That's just it. Nobody, people, I get, you already get the real feel of this town. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah. It's sort of quaint. But nobody knows Michael Ryan. Nobody knows who this is or why he's doing this. And it just sort of portrays even more so his loneliness. And, and perhaps his fear of missing out or his feeling of missing out on, yeah. all, on all the, the community that he is not part of. He d- the, even the policeman that's been there for 15 years doesn't even know who he is. Yeah. Says it all. They all know who he is now. Maybe. Maybe that that's exactly Now it. you all know who I am. Maybe that's why. That's it. There's so many reasons why this could possibly have happened. Yeah. At 1.30, so that's approximately 45 minutes after Michael first arrived at Southview shooting up his car. Mm-hmm. The specially trained tactical firearms unit were brought in to assist the local police. So I think, given the communication, like I've, you know, I think that's quite a fairly decent response time. I'm still, my mind's still blown over the two phone lines into the police station. <laughs> the, you know, it was the eighties. Yeah, that was a treat. Two phone yeah. lines. Yeah. Trevor was eager to help stop the gunman terrorizing his hometown and went to the high street to gather as many street maps as he could, so that they could record. Oh, okay. Um, you know the whereabouts. By the time he returned to the police station, there were senior police officers and armed response vehicles coming in. So the cavalry is assembling. Yep. Things are happening. Information about the shooting was flooding in from residents of the town, but the telephone system was overwhelmed. Yep. With an influx of conflicting information, because people are going to be getting through at different times. Oh, yeah. Saying different things. The police were struggling to actually locate Michael. Mm -hmm. Michael continued on his way, away from home. After wounding another of his neighbours, he headed back across Hungerford Common where he murdered Francis Butler, a young father who was just walking his dog. Oh, gosh. His tenth victim of the day was a taxi driver named Marcus Barnard. So you've got to think, in reality, this has been... Because the first shooting and the second shooting were outside of the town. Right. They're so the residents of the town, if unless they're at home by their phone and somebody's called them to tell them this is happening, aren't going to know what's no. happening, aren't going to know. Because they're not going to get news alerts on their phone. Because no. you <laughs> yeah. didn't have phones. They're not going to know to stay at home, no. to be careful. Although, to be fair, like one lady was shot in her living room. Staying at home isn't particularly helpful at this No, at this but stage. if you've got someone out on a killing spree, yeah. being out is probably not the best place yeah. to be. So, no, he's catching all these people completely unawares and unexpecting yeah. of that you just wouldn't expect anything like this to happen. No. Michael was far from done after his 10th victim Mm -hmm. and started heading towards the heavily populated town centre. On his way, on his way, he shot and injured two more people. So there's there's bodies everywhere. This Uh, is a mess. Yeah, it's a real mess. It's chaos. It is. As Officer Trevor Wainwright worked to bring Michael in, things took a tragically personal turn. Oh, shit. This makes me emotional. I got called into the sergeant's office and he said to me, Trevor, 
I don't know how to tell you this. I said, what? He said, um, he said, your dad's been shot and he's dead. Oh, fuck. Trevor's parents, Douglas and Kathleen Wainwright, had been driving to see their son, completely unaware of what was waiting for them. Oh, my God. Of course, because he was on a day off, weren't he? Yeah. I didn't even think about my mum and dad coming to Hungerford that day. They lived in Kent and they travelled, what, 120 miles that day. And they've driven 300 yards from my house and they drove straight up Michael Ryan, who shoots into the car. And he shot my dad in the head and he died instantly. Oh, my goodness. It makes me want to cry. That's so horrific. Yeah. And he's working on the case as well. Yeah. That's so deeply personal, isn't it? And it's just so, but also it's so completely random. Like they were literally just in the wrong place at the the wrong time. One traffic light could have made all the difference between them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that, the whole thing. Um, I've got a little tear in my eye. Danny is welling up. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot of these days, but that is quite, yeah, it's just sad. Sometimes it? I worry that I'm made of ice. I am. I do have like it, a lot of. It doesn't take much. I've I spent this a little while this morning crying at dog videos on the internet. Yeah. So yeah. a hormonal pregnant lady. <laughs> Don't worry. There is. A very small light in this one personal instance in that Kathleen, uh, Trevor's mum, was luckily able to pull herself out of the car and hid from Michael until she was rescued by a local resident who ran out and took her into their house and then called an ambulance. I mean, that is a light, but it's also still horrible that she has just seen her husband die and she has just had to escape the situation. But it is great that she survived. But yeah. also, fuck. So she was taken to the hospital and um, oh. and that was sort of the end of Trevor Wainwright's work day because his sergeant was took that, him to the hospital. He yeah, was like, you need to go uh, be, with, be with your mum. But to make matters worse, journalists were turning up in droves desperate for information about what was happening in the small town. Great, whilst it's still happening. Whilst it's still happening cool. because the police don't have enough to do. Yeah. Yep. Michael McCarthy was one of the journalists present. You couldn't get into the town centre, but you could see there was a police helicopter overhead and there was smoke in the distance as I checked in with the office. And they told me that there had been multiple shootings and they knew even then that it was in this street called Southview, which is on the eastern side of the town. And they wanted me, obviously, to get there as soon as I could, but you couldn't get within half a mile of it. I mean, there was, there was no way on earth you could get anywhere near us at that time. OK, right, let's, um, let's go into the scene of the crime whilst it's still happening to report on it and put all of our lives in danger. I guess that at, once again, at the time, that was the only way that sort of on-the-spot journalism could happen. There was no drones to fly over and get satellite footage. There Mad. was no... Yeah, they had to just turn up and sort of be brave and that's when investigative journalism was really like a you know brave what a time to be alive yeah but i'm also a bit like they turn up at this police station asking questions I'm like, these guys are busy yeah you know i mean but equally they don't know what they're turning up to find out no because they True. just they've heard there's gunshots there's smoke there's something happening that's that's it we need to get the scoop on what this actually is yep so at that time, 
that's kind of all they really know. Somebody is is shooting. Yeah. We're here to find out more. Both the media, the journalists present and the police had no idea how quickly Michael was racking up victims. Gosh. Handyman Eric Vardy became Ryan's 12th victim of the day when he was shot on his way to work. He then killed 22-year-old Sandra Hill as she passed him in her car. Then Michael forced his way into a house belonging to Victor Gibbs and his wife Myrtle. He shot and killed them both, bringing his victims to 15. What is going through his brain right now? Nobody knows. I don't even think he knows. I I just, I can't understand. Yeah, I can't understand it. Michael kept moving south, away from the town centre and towards his old school, John O'Gaunt Community Technology College. On his way, he shot at a family driving by in their car and the 34-year-old father, Ian Playle, was hit in the neck and died. In less than an hour and a half, Michael Ryan had killed 16 innocent people. Oh my goodness. Many of whom were complete strangers. Yeah. But the horror he was inflicting on the town he had grown up in was finally coming to a close. Finally, Ryan, I think symbolically, returns to his old school, the John O'Gaunt Community College, and he locks himself in. By this time, the police have managed to assemble a reaction and he begins to negotiate. Thankfully, it's August, it's the school holidays. No one's there. So nobody's at school. Yeah, I was about to think that when you first mentioned school, I thought, oh shit, but then remembered it was the the summer holiday. Fuck, he's in a school, this is going to go even worse. Yeah, Yeah, no, uh, so at least there was no kids in the school. For five hours, the police negotiated with Michael, trying to get him to give himself up, and it sounded like he was coming to terms with what he's done. How does a police person, a police officer, negotiate for someone to give themselves up? They like have special training, don't they? Like, do they bribe them? Do they do they blackmail them? What do they What do they depends, say? Depends on who they're talking to, what the circumstances are. Sometimes they'll offer them stuff, reduce sentences. Like really, uh, I don't. It's know. all a lie. Well, sometimes I don't know. He seems incredibly concerned about his mother. That seems to be what is at the forefront of his mind, what he's most concerned with. And you could interpret that as some kind of remorse, but actually I think it's more indicative of his enmeshment with his mother and his dependence upon his mother, because they had quite an intense relationship. He, he really was quite a, a mummy's boy. And I think that the thought that, that he had killed her and taken her out of the equation was something that he was having quite a lot of trouble with very near the end of the events at Hungerford that day. He said to the police negotiators, Hungerford must be a bit of a mess by now. I wish I'd stayed in bed. And that, in a way, encapsulates the tragedy of him. Shortly before 7pm, police heard a single shot from inside the school. Ooh, okay. Michael Ryan had shot himself with one of his own rifles. The Hungerford Massacre had finally ended. Yep, I thought that that might be the case. In a way, it was a sort of something of relief. Then it was over then, you know, he couldn't shoot anyone else. And uh, in a way, it sort of was brought some closure in my mind. It didn't bring any closure to the events that happened subsequently, but, but it did bring closure to that event. He couldn't shoot anymore else and no more lives would be lost. I don't know if this is going to be an unpopular opinion but 
when someone causes that much damage and destruction and just outright violence, you know, when they then take the gun on themselves, I can't help but feel that justice still hasn't been served, i.e. like, yes, they're no longer here to cause any more damage, but it's almost like, they, I don't want to say, of, they, I don't, they I don't, don't have to atone. No, I don't, they don't have to, I don't want to say what a waste, because that sounds insensitive, but it is like, what a waste of a day. Why did you do that? You caused all Cut the, out the middleman and just, yeah, like, like, yeah, and just like, why couldn't you have started the day why with is yourself that, first? Yeah, I just want to hear an explanation. I Wh- think, why? That's it, and you'll never get that why. No. Never get that why. I do wonder though, from the local perspective, the people in the village the people who are all affected by this the families of the victims mm. does that change how you get your closure how you make how you grieve the situation because once like like mayor tarry just said like you do get a closure like this is over now this isn't going to get any worse yeah that you wouldn't necessarily do when it goes to is this how is he going to be punished how long is he going to go to jail for is he going to go you know is he going to go to jail is he going to go to a psychiatric prison like yeah you know um and that whole thing is sort of really drawn out and agonizing and these people have to relive these events over and over again while it's in the news yeah it's very true um so i i think that's quite interesting and i know in sort of one of the clips pc trevor wainwright did say that um if he'd been caught and arrested i would have hated him so much and i would have been at every court hearing to see him get sentenced but the fact that he killed himself i didn't have that hatred yeah and i think that's it's so interesting and um it is interesting you i don't suppose you can really comment on it until you've you won't know how you no. feel about something like that and i suppose that hatred towards him may have caused him some, you know, mental health issues as well. You just don't know. Yeah. But in a way, I feel like he kind of gave himself an easy way out by just ending it then and there. Yeah. And I would I would be inclined to say, no, make him suffer. Yeah, I'm going to be bold it, enough lo- to say. Lock him up in a cell and let him suffer. Yeah, I'm going to be bold enough to say that it's a coward's way out. Yeah, I, I was thinking the same. Yeah, it, like, you, you know... You, can't own up to you can't either can't or won't own up to what you've done and face the consequences yeah yeah in the wake of the tragedy news began to spread about the devastation that had happened in hungerford no one could have possibly imagined the scale of destruction that michael had caused and as the news of the murderer became public many people were shocked to see a familiar face when i saw the picture of ryan in the papers myself i knew it was the guy i used to see walking his dogs on hungerford common in his combat jacket and his hat, but that wasn't anything alarming to me because a lot of people wear those type of coats, you know, especially around this area. He was a guy that was quite insignificant, to be honest. He was quite polite. When I saw him on the common with his dogs, we'd say good morning, but his dogs would sniff each other and he'd walk off. You know, I'm just looking at pictures of him right now on on Googly. And he does just look like just he's, a regular he's guy. Just a guy. Just a regular guy. Who and I hate un- to say it, he's quite forgettable looking, isn't he? Yeah, he doesn't... He just like, It's not very striking. There's not anything... There's not like a... Fe- he doesn't have... Yeah. He doesn't have a look. And I think a lot of the people that we look at... Quite he, striking. They, or, or they look 
like murdery. Yeah. You know, they look like they could be murdery. He's he he just looks like a a normal kid. Just just bucket hat on. Looks quite innocent faced. Yeah. Just not yeah, not very memorable. So imagine him coming out I'm looking at him right now thinking how could someone that looks like that and they you can't judge people by judge by its cover but you just couldn't see it. I couldn't see it happening. No. The country was desperate to know more information about the gunman and about the attack, which means one thing. Journalists absolutely everywhere. At one point, there were up to 50 journalists in the small town trying to get the next scoop, which just actually seems quite cruel to me. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. about to say, that's pretty insensitive. And also just like, fuck off. Yeah. One <laughs> the people that live there. It gets worse. One oh, no. horrible news report in particular left police officer and son to one of the victims, Trevor Wainwright, completely stunned. Oh, no. Probably the thing that upset me really badly was the press coverage. The headlines were PC signed father's own death warrant. I read that and I just couldn't believe that. And it meant to me that if I signed my dad's death warrant... And I signed the death warrants of all the other people that got shot. And to me, that was so unfair because Ryan was a member of a gun club. He had several weapons, and each time you have a weapon, you have to be vetted or have the licence amended and approved. If he wasn't a suitable person, I'd be the person able to say that. But because he had no record and nobody really knew him, although he was a local lad... He was a loner. That doesn't prevent you from having a firearm certificate. And, you know, clearly there was no reason for him not to have a firearm certificate. God, that's incredibly cruel, insensitive. Mm, and just, I just, I hope he, I hope he lost his job after that. Yeah, because, well, it's like you said, like we said earlier, if there's no reason for you not to have, like, there's no reason for you not to have a gun... Yeah, you can have one if you meet the criteria. Exactly. And, and there's anybody. There's it's um minority report territory to like you're gonna kill somebody so you can't have this gun. Nobody can say that. Yeah. So like naturally those reports and allegations really devastated Trevor. Um, you can hear it, but he really hid from everyone, including his family. Oh. I was so upset that I didn't want to go to hospital to see my mum because she was in a ward with the other people that had been shot. And I couldn't face them. They obviously saw the the paper in hospital. My mum was told that you know I was very upset, and she phoned me up from hospital and she said, "Trevor, get your ass in here. The people want you." Oh God! Told you. They you know, but they are right though. It's, oh God! Right, I've been cracked. The ice queen has there cracked. You go. Um, I knew it would be Trevor. Shh, don't look at me like that. <laughs> um, no, but it's so true that he's going to think that everybody is reading that and believing that, like some dickhead journalist that's wrote, written this horrible headline who doesn't know him, doesn't know what he's provided for the community. And the people, the community, are going to obviously be supportive of him because why wouldn't they be? In no way would anyone that know him would think that yeah. he would do something like that. Exactly, especially because this man, like Michael Ryan, he was nobody. Yeah, and also, let's just think about the facts here. 
His parents were just driving from Kent to visit him. In no way did he know that this gunman was going to be, or his parents were going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You cannot blame anyone for the actions of a spree killer like this. Nope. And I don't think, unless you can, you know, unless somebody was like literally being like, you should go and kill all these people. Yeah. In which case, yes, you can blame them. But you have to blame the person who's doing it. You can't even blame the guns for killing these people. No. Because somebody has to pull the trigger. Exactly. Yeah. The Hungerford Massacre sparked a wave of change in the UK with many people calling for changes to be made about gun laws. There's all the questions like, why does a man need these guns? Like, why why is it necessary? Yeah, why does he need the Yeah. Why? And why is it necessary to license them? If, mm. if you have to license them because they're unsafe, why should people actually have these for private ownership? For no, yeah. just for fun. Yeah, because the, they don't do any good. Because you only call armed response in when they are responding to an armed person. Yep. Thankfully, I don't, don't often agree with a lot of government decisions, but definitely agree with this one. The government listened to the pleas for change. Good. What the government decided to do, very quickly, in short order... Uh, I think Douglas Hurd was the Home Secretary, they commissioned a report about this from the head of Thames Valley Police, which came in quite quickly, and as a result of it, they amended the Firearms Act. You could not any longer be in possession of a, a fully automatic assault weapon, and that was done really quite quickly. Firearms Amendment Act was passed in 1988, so less than a year after the Hungerford Massacre, mm-hmm. banning the ownership of semi-automatic centre-fire rifles and restricting the use of shotguns with a capacity to shoot more than three cartridges, to hold more than three cartridges, in the hope that something like this would never, ever happen again. And, I mean, obviously, a lot of people in the UK will know that the Act was actually had to be amended again after Dunblane in 1996, which then banned the private ownership of handguns as well. I think maybe they should just ban the ownership of guns completely private ownership of guns is is not a thing here now you can own a a shotgun um it can't be pump action yeah because i'm thinking of farmers right yeah um and you have to be licensed and there has to be a sort of a reason that's what i mean have it like if you're a member of a gun club you go clay pigeon shooting that kind of thing you can have a shotgun it's licensed you have to pass like you have to be vetted okay um you can't just go buy one and decide that i Shoot clay pigeons now. So thankfully, you know, the gun ownership is very heavily regulated. We actually have one of the most restrictive gun ownership laws in the world. Good. And I think it shows, it does go to show itself. Yeah. The Firearms Amendment Act was a victory for the people demanding change back in 1988. However, for the people of Hungerford, the damage was already done. The effects of the actions taken by Michael Ryan on August 19th, 1987 still live with those involved. I bet. The scars linger now, 30 years on, because how could they not? Entirely random neighbours were killed, people you knew, people your children had been at school with, someone who might have seen every day at church. It was a, a community, and there's no way a community could have suffered such a trauma, without having been dreadfully affected. The press asked me, when was the last murder in Hungerford, do you think? And there were two policemen murdered in Hungerford in 1876. And I said, well, I think 111 years ago. I don't know anyone since then. 
It's not the sort of thing you'd expect to hear in a place like Hungerford. I think the community has got stronger uh, as a result of what's happened. And as time goes on, you know, the hunger thing fades out a little bit, but it will always be there. I think it strengthened the community spirit. It made Hungerford better known for all the wrong reasons. Hungerford was more than that. That was just one dreadful day, but there's been hundreds of years of history when that wasn't Hungerford. And so we don't think of Michael Ryan and that day in August 1987 has been what Hungerford's about. I was going to say, I've just Googled Hungerford just to see what it looks like because I wanted to see what it looked like. Oh, yeah, get see, look, you're on satellite. Are you on the Street View? You're no, driving I'm just, around no, the town? No, I'm on Google. It's not it, weird. No, I'm on Google Images. Oh, go on Street View. It's a so, lovely little place. Well, I was just looking <laughs> at pictures to see what it looked like and third row down, there's his face. So you, yeah. even when you Google it, he's there. He's, yeah. a, he's just going to always be a, a, a reminder. A dark shadow. Yeah. Yeah. Prick. Yeah. And that was the Hungerford Massacre. That wasn't very nice. I know. Isn't it it's mad to think that that happened, uh, what, 35 years ago? Yeah. In our country. I know. And just... Um, it's also, and for reasons that we don't even know why. It's were. also mad to think that uh, in other places in the world, this isn't a rare occurrence. I know. And that... That horrifies me. That yeah. I cannot come to terms with that. That is mad. We're so lucky to be so safe and we t- I think I don't know if we I don't know if we take our safety for granted but maybe we do. I don't think we do and I also don't think we're lucky because I'm very pro gun reform. So no, like, I mean, not saying we won't, but no, like, but lucky in the sense that we we just go live in our day-to-day life not worrying about that oh, sort of yeah, stuff. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, because it's not commonplace. It's yeah. Not, um, but I also, yeah, I don't know. Are we lucky? It's, it should be a basic human right. It, well, yeah. Yeah, we are lucky. No, we are. As I was sort of doing my research through this, mm. I was just like, I really hope, like, please, God, like, I really hope that this actually did something. Yeah. And so knowing that this is what sparked the firearms amendments, like, I was like, I, it's not, it doesn't take away all the lives lost, but at least, like, something really good has come from this. Yeah. Random fact. Right. Uh, following the latest Firearms Amendment Act, which was in 1997, mm. um, the only one of the only handguns still allowed following the ban on handguns right. uh, are antique and muzzle-loading black powder guns, like from Hamilton. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll get you with my gunpowder gun. So you can have one of those. Yeah. Should we next time? Yeah, well, let's next time it. <laughs> So next time, on Devils in the Dark, with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're turning back the clock to look into the life of sadistic murderer and slave owner, Madame Lalaurie. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of Devils in the Dark. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please do check out the description for lots of helpful resources. Special thanks to Woodcut Media and our wonderful producers at Audio Boom Studios. 